Thank you, Andrew. How are we all doing this morning? We good? All right? We're vertical? As my uncle would always say, you know, I'm vertical. That's great. He's not horizontal. He's not in the grave yet. Um, firstly, I want to say that uh, this church is a great church, and I always feel so welcome. I always feel like this, this is family. This is a home for me, and I want to say uh, that you've got some just a great community here. You've got great people. Uh, you've got two great leaders, two great pastors here. One's better looking than the other. Um, I was actually referring to my father-in-law as the better looking one. Uh, sorry, buddy. Um, but I always feel like it's family. I, when I come to Melbourne, I always want to be catching up with these guys, and uh, I do get asked to come here. Uh, this is a surprise that I keep getting asked, but that's fine. That's good. Uh, but God's doing great things in this community. He's doing great things in you, and he's doing great things through you. And I, and I hear that. I hear that a lot from Andrew, from Joel, and from others, that uh, this place is being used by God. Take courage, and don't slow down. Don't, don't take the foot off the gas, but keep pursuing everything that God is doing in this area of the city in Melbourne. Uh, so before I, uh, we, we, we get into the word... Um, I just want to gauge my audience a little bit. Uh, just put your hand up if you're a big brother. Just a, if you're a big, you're the older brother. Yeah, okay, we've got quite a few older brothers. We want to thank you, older brothers, for your contribu- contribution to society. Um, because, you see, I'm a younger brother, four years younger than my older brother. And uh, older brothers always have this uncanny ability to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing, Right? Stupid stuff, right? I'll never forget this one time, my brother and I, we were in the backyard. We had these two big pine trees. It was probably, I think it was around this, it was about this, this far apart from that wall to here. And it was about four meters high. We had this idea that we were going to build a flying fox, right? And we, and we were just like, we're pumped, we're excited. Uh, I didn't know how it was going to play out. I think my older brother did. I was seven years old and um, he was around 11. Anyways, so... It was a pretty sophisticated project, right? We had a long piece of string and we had a stick. That was our flying fox. <laughs> and so, four meters up, he climbs up, he ties up one end, then we bring it over here and then the other tree uh, was about two meters high, so it was a bit of a, bit of a fall. And then basically what he said to me is, um, before we open to the public, we need to try it. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And he's like, and you know what? We, he appeals to my sense of our play rituals. We always had these play rituals as kids. Like, you know, I was always the one that would step out and do things first. So he's like, you know, we always, you always try things first. You know, you'll be the first one to go on it. You know, and I was like, yeah, okay. It's a bit high though. And, you know, and, and then he's like, and he, sense, he appeals to my sense of experience. You know, this is going to be heaps of fun. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, it is going to be heaps of fun. Look at it. It's amazing. And then he appeals to my sense of ability, you know, my skill. He's like, you're lighter, you know, if anyone's going to succeed at this, you will. And so I was thinking, okay, all right. Uh, so he gives me the stick, and uh, I climb up, and away we go. It doesn't end well, because I've still got scars to this day on my hand from the grindage, the rope burn coming down the flying fox. And, and uh, I have a debate with him about how high it was. Because I, I think it was around six metres high, but he reckons it's about two metres high. So for the, for the sake of the story, we, I compromised it four. Uh, but 
it's funny because in Colossians, the church here uh, have these people with crazy talk. They're, they're, they're saying crazy things and they're appealing to the Colossians' sense of rituals, sense of experience and sense of self-discipline and, and that kind of thing. And the, the, the teaching at the church was starting to disrupt them. It was starting to make them believe crazy things. It's starting to take their focus off the dangers and certain things that are going on, like myself, and started to get them to focus on other things and distract them from the main thing. Have you ever been in a season where you find yourself distracted or find yourself not focusing on the main thing or not focusing on Jesus and pursuing Him with everything, but there's other things that pop up and come along your way that you sort of hone in or focus in on? Well, this church was starting to be taught all kinds of different things, and their focus was turning from Jesus to other things. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be looking at Colossians 2, 16 to 26, and we're going to have a look at three, three big ideas. So as you flip to that, we're going to have a look at three big ideas. The first one is, don't let crazy talk shake your Christian identity. Second is, don't let crazy talk sever your Christian joy. And thirdly, don't let crazy talk steal your Christian power. So, let's have a look. First, first up, first point is, don't let crazy talk shake your Christian identity. From verse 16 it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying, don't let these rituals, these, these things, take the, the main stage. Don't let these things become the main focus of what you're about. And the more and more I talk with people, talk with Christians, and, and um, the kids' talk was great because there's this, this need for us as humans to define ourselves by what we do. Like, that's, that's, the, that's how we define ourselves. That's how we get our sense of identity. And, and I speak to certain people, and it's like, um, they start telling me, you know, I'm a Christian because, you know, I go to church. You know, I'm a Christian because I, I pray. And, and I know people at church, and I know people who pray who definitely are not Christian, um, they are things. They're good things. They're important things. They're, they're all, all valuable, but they're not the essential part of who we are. And so, Paul is saying, guys, stop defining yourselves by these things, but define yourself by Christ. And, and what has Paul just said in Colossians? He said things like this in, just in the verses before. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ as Lord, walk in Him rooted and built up in Him. There's a sense of you're, you're being filled in Him, and in Him you are circumcised, and you've been buried in baptism and, and raised with Him, and, and now you, God has made you alive together with Him. So there's this sense of that Jesus is everything. He, he gives us that identity. We don't create that for ourselves. And so He's saying, you're complete in Jesus, so... so what defines you is no longer the, the, the rituals, the, the festivals, the, what you drink or what you eat, those kinds of things. Those things don't 
define you. But you see, these religious festivals and ceremonies and rituals, the, those things were not bad, right? Like, those, those things were actually instructed by God as a form of defining the people of God. Like, that was, that was their identity. Those, those were good things. Um, if we have a quick look at the Old Testament, we can have a look at there's, there's these ceremonial laws, these food and drink laws in Levit- Leviticus 11, where, where God says, you know, like, these things are detestable to me. You know, there's certain things in there that you can't eat, like naughty foods. I'm not talking about uh, fast food. I'm talking about just like, you know, bad things. Like, you can't eat the falcon, right? You can't eat, uh, there's, there's all kinds of, you can't eat the eagles. You can't eat these birds of prey. And there's this like little subclause right at the bottom. And it says, don't eat chicken feet. It's just gross. Who, who likes chicken feet? No, that's all right. First, Bit of backstory, the church that I came from, right, we, uh, there's a lot of Asian people that always want me to eat chicken feet. I just can't handle chicken feet. I mean, it's all bone and skin. Anyways, so, so these things were, they, were, they were commanded not to eat these things because they would be different to the nations around them. But then, obviously, Jesus comes along, and these food laws point to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 6, and he says that uh, I will give you living water in John 7. So there's these parallels with the Old Testament that Jesus is now here. We don't abide by those rules and laws. Festivals, the, in Le- Leviticus 23, there's these festivals. And if you go through, there's, there's festivals for everything. There's so much time. We could be, I, I don't know what uh, the, the people of God were doing, you know, before these festivals, but... Once the festivals come, you're taking up large chunks of your year just partying, right? There's celebrations and food festivals, and, and it's like great fun. But ultimately, those things are not what it's about, because then Jesus comes, and they point to this festival, this feast, at the end of time. Revelation 19 talks about how there'll be this wedding supper of the Lamb, and there's this picture of God sitting down with His people, and all of these small feasts were to point to the the God, the, the Jesus who we're going to ultimately celebrate it with. And then the new moon festivals. Who knows what a new moon festival was? That took me a little bit. I was like doing a little bit of research. Numbers 10.10 talks a bit about the new moon festival. On the day of your gladness, also at your appointed feasts, at the beginning of your months. This is sort of the, the verse of Numbers 10.10, which at the beginning of your month, the new moon was like the start of a month where there's a new moon. And this was a significant moment for people where God would, would give prophetic revelation. He would reveal himself through his prophets on the, these new moon festivals. In Ezekiel, you can read that and in other places. And so this was a, this was a time of like spiritual renewal and, and, and people are waiting, you know, to hear from the Lord. And then ultimately... Um, the New Testament talks about how Jesus, he comes in the flesh. He's, he's, he's God in a man. He's the awaited Messiah is now here and, and he's present with his people. And so Jesus is here and he shows the people the revelation, the true revelation of God. The word became flesh. And then finally the Sabbath, you know. Exodus 20 talks about this Sabbath law, you know. This is my Sabbath. You shall keep it. You know, work six days, rest one. And God didn't 
designed this just because he was tired, right? That, that's what, that's the, the pattern that we should follow that God did. He, he wasn't tired and, and exhausted, right? He's all-powerful. But God stopped to delight, stopped to, to, to rest and, and enjoy. And so we are commanded then to stop and enjoy. But ultimately, we're not just to enjoy this day and, and enjoy a time off and rest and, and have you know, a good time. But ultimately, Jesus, Matthew 12, talks about how he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And how ultimately when we stop, when we rest, we have a Sabbath we are, we are to stop and enjoy Him. Like, that's, that's the, the point. That's the picture. So the Sabbath was actually to show us that we are to rest from our self-righteousness and our works and rest in Him and what He has done. So that's the picture. So Paul is saying, hey, guys, you know, these are not bad things, but they're pointing to something so much greater. They're pointing to so much better. You know, Jesus says that in, in Matthew 5. He says, that I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so we have this picture that Jesus is saying, this, the law is about me. Guys, like, you're doing all these great things, but, but what's the end goal? Is it just to do these things, just to go through the motions? And so this is what Paul is saying in verse 17 when he says that these things are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. These things are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, just imagine with me that I was going over to one of my mates' house. Caleb, do you want to jump up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I normally come to the Poppenbeck's place to see Caleb, but Joel gets in the way. And um, oh, Sorry, mate. No, no, no. Sorry. Just, just stand, stand for me right here. This is, that's perfect. Yep. Um, and do you want to just, just, just show me a bit of a flex? Right, right arm, right arm. Look at this guy, this guy. No, no. Right arm, right arm. Uh, sorry, right arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. I'm wrong. Yeah, give me, give me a little bit of this action here. Yeah, yeah, excellent. All right, hit the slide. Bang, there he is. Whoa. Look at, look at this shadow, right? Just stay there for a second. Just stay there for a second. So imagine, right, I go over to the Poppenbeck's place and I'm coming to, to see Caleb, but I'm so focused on his shadow. I'm like, hey, Caleb, you know, you're looking good today. You know, you're looking fresh. And he's probably thinking like, What's he doing? What's this, what's this guy on about? Like, he's just, he's just like talking to my shadow. He's not actually like talking with me, looking in my eyes, you know, having a good time. Thanks, mate. You, you, can, you can jump in. <laughs> Give Caleb a hand. I, when I came into church this morning, I saw you looking pretty fit, so I thought, I just, just, I just had to find someone that would truly reflect the, the shadow that I'd put. Yeah, anyways. But Jesus is like, he's, he's, he's coming to the church and Paul's talking about this idea that he's like, why are you guys looking at the shadow when I'm right here? And, and the person of Jesus is the one that we are to relate with, engage with, connect with. And sometimes we can get so obsessed and focused on the shadow. And I think what this whole idea is that that when, a, when I think about this, when it boils down for me, I think about this idea of shadows and rituals are the things that we do, you know, the, the good things that we do, that we enjoy, you know, getting into the Bible, doing our, our prayer times, all those sort of things, those are good things. But, you know, sometimes we can be in a performance flywheel, like in our devotional life, and even I've heard it, some of the young adults in church are doing some fasting stuff, which is great, I think that's really important. But sometimes we get caught up in, oh, how long are you doing it for? And what are you doing? And how's it going? And, 
And it, and it becomes just a, a comparison thing, and we start to think about the functions as opposed to the person in which we're trying to, um, to relate with and engage with. And so here Paul is saying, you know, you are not your function, but you are, your, you are here to worship me and, and to relate with me. And so the way I think about it is this, that at my church, I'm a, I'm a pastor at the church, but that's not my identity, that's my function. That's what I do. So when, at, if times change, you know, and maybe I am no longer a pastor there or I'm no longer a pastor at all, um, if that gets taken away, am I still a Christian or is, is, is my faith caught up in these things or the functions that I do and the role that I do? And I think that's just so important to, to get our heads around because we can easily lose our security in who we are as a Christian when we find ourselves defining ourselves by what we do as opposed to what Jesus has done. So that's just the first point. Secondly, don't let crazy talk sever your Christian joy. And we're going to read from verses 18 and following. It says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and holding and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with the gross growth that is from God. So, what is this, what is this um, passage talking about? The way I see it is this. Don't lose your head by allowing other people to change your focus from Jesus onto spiritual experiences. Um, have you noticed or spoken to certain people around, Christian people around this idea of, you know, what makes you truly a Christian? And sometimes they'll say, uh, you need to have this spiritual encounter, this spiritual, you know, experience that will define you as, you know, that's, that's sort of your mark as a, as a Christian, that's, that's who you are. Um, and they typically, it's like speaking in tongues, seeing visions, it's, um, you know, prophecy, it's like a lot of the spiritual gifts sort of stuff, which is not bad. But sometimes they become the thing that can rob us of our joy. Let me, let me share a story. So there was these three Christian pastors having dinner. This is not a joke. It sounds like a joke, but there's these, there's these three Christian pastors having a dinner. One of them was a bit more of a conservative, Bible-based, um, traditional kind of person, and the others were um, a bit more experience-based, a bit more, um, uh, I guess, led by the Spirit and great quality people. But the conversation sort of came up and basically the question was, Tim, do you believe that speaking in tongues is the sign or a sign that you're a Christian? Do you believe that speaking in tongues is the sign or a sign of being a Christian? And I was sort of thinking, oh, gee... Um, the sign or a sign? I was thinking, is there a third option? Like, so I was like, I've never spoken in tongues, right? So I'm thinking, I, I believe that being a Christian, you don't need to speak in tongues um, to be a Christian. And they sort of looked at each other and they, they laughed. They just laughed at me. And I was like, oh man, I am, I'm not this, I'm, I'm not very spiritual. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, part of the spiritual elite, I felt like I was, you know, second rate. I was starting to doubt my faith. I was starting to think, 
man, what am I doing with my life? I need to, I need to find this, this new experience. And, and so, so then I, 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 start, I, I seriously started to doubt myself and started to believe oh, maybe I'm not truly a Christian and maybe their experiences is what I've got to go after to find completeness in who I am as a Christian. And in verses 18 and 19, what we've just read, I believe that that speaks to a similar situation, that they are insisting in worship of angels and going into detail about visions puffed out without reason by his sensuous mind. And some, some commentators will talk about like this worship of angels as this idea that these false teachers are telling people to worship angels, but I find that pretty difficult to believe in, and the way it's phrased that... Um, that newly converted people were starting to change their focus on God to angels, but more so that they were seeking this experience of worshipping with angels. Like there's this, this supernatural spiritual gift that they were encountering these angels and visions, and then so they've, they've started to go, you know, if, unless you're worshipping with the angels and seeing these visions, then you're not truly, you're like you're missing out. They're going in detail about visions. And these, what was taking place is these people were seeing these visions and they were going, this, is, this is, has more authority than the Word. This is, has more authority than what Paul is talking about. These things have more weight than the concrete Word of God. And so what Paul is saying is don't, don't let these guys you know, disqualify you. Why? because they're already disqualified. If you notice that they've, they've been detached from the head, you know, that's, that's a gruesome picture, right? It, it says that they're not holding fast to the head. Other translations, it's like they've been severed, they've been cut off, their heads are chopped off. These guys are, are Christians uh, without a head, right? Because Jesus is the head and they're, they're all about the experience. And so, I find myself thinking about this going, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you get a present and the present becomes less of the object but, but the, the packaging does? You know, like with kids it happens all the time. You, you, you give your kids a gift and, and they're, they're there and, and they're not playing with the present you gave them. They've got the wrapping paper and they're, they're, they're toying around with it. I know that Apple, the company, Apple, make... A lot of phones, a lot of products, but they spend a lot of money on the packaging because it's really important. Packaging is important because how you receive something is generally how you'll continue in it. So, so they, they, they spend a lot of money with this packaging. And I've heard stories of people throwing out their packaging. I don't know why they'll throw out the Apple packaging, right? It's just so good. But, but they throw out the packaging in the bin and people have come and looked in their bin and taken the packaging like, oh, I'm hoping there's a phone in there or something. I don't know. I don't know what people are thinking. They're just fishing out these Apple products uh, that are just the, the packaging. But in a sense, the spiritual experience is, is, is packaging for the person of Jesus. And these spiritual experiences are good and important and valuable. But if they become the main focus, then the point is missed by the actual item and content inside, which is Jesus. And so the application for us on this point is, is twofold. There's two points. There's, there's an implicit warning to us not to hyper-focus on spiritual experiences. And so sometimes we can get 
so caught up in, in these, these moments of emotional experience that we can lose perspective of what they're actually about in the first place. But also, we can be seeking out these experiences from day to day without actually enjoying Jesus in our day in, day out. And the question for us is, you know, how are we doing outside of these corporate gatherings? What's going on for us when we're, when we're not in these great moments or in a good conference or, or doing those things? Are we, are we walking? Are we spending time with Him? Are we enjoying Him? That's the first question. And the second application is there's a comfort in this verse that we, we don't actually need to feel inferior as a Christian if we don't have these grand spiritual encounters and experiences. God gives us those things, that's great. But if we don't see them day in, day out, or if we don't experience them, we don't have to feel second rate. So we have to be careful not to idolize the experience, but glorify the God of the experience. And so Paul is saying, I don't want you guys to, to, to be severed from the head by pursuing these experiences. Don't let crazy talk do that to you. So then finally... Paul says this, don't let crazy talk steal your Christian power. And that's from verse 20 to 23, which says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. His final point is this. Don't let crazy talk take your focus from Jesus and letting worldly thinking shift your faith to self-help, to a self-help faith, to a self-disciplined faith. Paul's saying that you, you've, you've died, you've died in Christ, you've died to the world, so then why are you going on living like you're, you're just a part of the world? That's what he's saying. Um, I'm always reminded, I've, I've actually referenced uh, my great uncle H already, but I'm always reminded of the, the greatest philosopher of my day, Uncle H, who, who would always tell me, you know, Tim, nothing in life is free. And he would follow that up because he had a bit of a Christian background. He's like, God helps those who help themselves. And uh, I was like, okay. Um, you know, you've got to work hard, determination, grit. You've got a vision. You pursue it. Um, you know, you work, you do the time, you get paid. That's how it is. And, and what Paul is talking about is, is these, there's these false teachers that are insisting on this asceticism and severity of the body. Does anyone know what asceticism is? Because that, I was like, I've got to do a little bit of a word study on that and figure out what was going on there. But asceticism is basically this idea of, of making yourself humble, making yourself lowly, making yourself, like depriving yourself of certain things so that you can experience things in a greater way. It's a bit like fasting, but it's, it's, it's constantly doing this. And so you're avoiding these luxuries and comforts and so that you can enter into this right space of worship and right space of um, encounter with God. And so 
as I was studying this, it, it brought me back to this, this passage, actually, in Luke 18. Luke 18, if you've got your Bibles, flick there if you want. But Luke 18 talks about this contrast between these two people. In verse 10, it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But I fast twice a week. I give tithes, uh, all of what I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. This one of these guys was relying on his works, his, his, his own self-discipline and, you know, he's helping himself in a sense, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contributing this. The other guy was relying purely on the grace of God. And basically, these false teachers are like, you know, you've got to be more disciplined, you've got to be more, um, you know, and every good youth pastor generally says that to his, <laughs> his youth, right? It's like, <laughs> you've got to be... Steering away from this, you've got to be more disciplined, you've got to read the Bible more, which is important. But we've got to be careful not to let the, the works of what we do give us this merit or credit in our minds for the grace of God. But, in fact, the true power in which we grow in godliness is not a power that we concoct up from within ourselves, but it is a power that is given to us through the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, I don't know, I'm sure that there's, there's a number of husbands in the room, yeah, a few of them. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of wives in the room. I know for me, personally, that um, husbands are stubborn, right? You know, your wife will tell you a lot of things. You know, you've got to, uh, you've got to do, the, do the gardening, you've got to wash up after yourself. I mean, that's pretty difficult. Um, you, you've got to, like, there's a broken tap or there's certain things. You know, and as a husband, you know, that... I actually was told that as a kid I had a lot of hearing tests because I had this really great ability to tune out like people and mum kept like saying, you know, like he's, he's got a hearing problem and they, they keep sending me back going, no, nah, he's good, he's fine. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, it's this gift that I got. But anyways, it transitions into marriage and, and you know, you, you find yourself, why am I not winning with my wife, you know, why am I not winning because I just can't hear her. But... It's amazing how your ears open up when she gives you a little bit of a massage or, or there's a little bit of a, a, a treat that comes home after a shopping trip, like, oh, here's a Kit Kat. Oh, I don't mind a Kit Kat. Um, and then you start thinking, yeah, what was that thing that she wanted me to do? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll go get that or I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up or do that. I guess the point is that, you know, when, when you experience the love from someone... You, you want to do anything to be like them, to be in their good books, to enjoy their, their presence and that kind of thing. And, and as, you know, that's a little life tip for the, the wives, just keep giving the husband chocolate. <laughs> no. But there's this sense that as, as Kelsey would, would love me more, I'm grateful that she's so patient and so humble, but as Kelsey would love me more, I would start thinking of ways how I can live to please her. And I would start living a life... Um, out of this, this love for her, not out of this, this push and this force and this command that, that sometimes um, can come across in a, in a married life. 
And I think that's what the secret to the Christian power is, is not this self-discipline, self-help, you know, you've got to work harder, but the secret of the gospel is that we don't have power to overcome our sin. That's what, that, that's what Paul says. These things have no value in overcoming the indulgence of the flesh. That's a fancy way of saying, you know, stopping sinning. Um, and so the gospel actually says that you need help. I need help. The gospel actually says that, that we are broken, that we can't clean ourselves up. The gospel says that our lives are a mess. Like we are, we are broken, we've got issues. And it's actually not in the control that we find our power, but it's in our surrender of ourselves. As we, as we surrender ourselves to God, as we lean into Him, we get transformed into His image. It's not like we have to come in hot and heavy and try and force uh, ourselves to change. I really enjoy uh, this quote from Martin Luther that says, It is certain that a man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. And so I just want to finish with this, this idea that as we, as we see ourselves as, as totally broken and helpless before God, we receive the grace that God gives us and He empowers us to live out this life that we don't have to, um, to strive for, that we don't have to, to you know, work the grind and force ourselves into it, but we, we, we rest into it. It's this idea of that Jesus came and, and He would give us a new burden, a new load, and He would give us this rest in which we would, we would rest in and we would produce fruit out of. God wants us to change. Jesus is working on our hearts and transforming us. There's no doubt about it. But, but it is, how does that happen? Is it just through you pushing and forcing to be a better version of yourself? Or is it through cleaving and, and connecting with Jesus and being loved by Him that you would find time to change? So the question for me to finish is really this, is how are you finding time to rest in Jesus? How are you finding time to, to be in His presence? How are you finding time to, to dwell in everything that He has given you, to treasure Him truly. Because I know in my life, I find it very difficult to rest, to slow down. I was, t- I was joking with Andrew just the other day, Spotify has a function now that you can listen to podcasts three times speed, and I love it. <laughs> but uh, are you taking time to reflect, you know, to disconnect? Disconnect from the relationships around you. Disconnect from... Obviously, your, your devices and phone and those kinds of things where you can just slow down and enjoy the moment. Look around, smell, you know, use the, the five senses. Some people have got six, a sixth sense, but, you know, that's a bit odd. Um, you know, and just really dwelling in the moment and just going, hey, God, you are so great. And just treasuring the moment in which you're in, not thinking about the sin of the past, not thinking about the future plans and things you've got to do for work or family or, you know, I've got kids now and I've got plans for them as well, so now my work's doubled, I'm thinking about them, I'm thinking about myself, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about my parents, you know, what's going to happen with them and, um, you know, you, you can be so sucked out of the moment and you can forget that God is, is present with you that He's wanting to relate with you and that in that moment, He's wanting to transform you. And I don't know how that is. I know for, for Kelsey and I, we've really just been enjoying a lot of time together uh, where, we've been, where we've been just enjoying the kids. Like over this last couple of weeks, we've been in Melbourne. We've just, 
you know, watching the kids bomb in off the edge of the pool, into the pool, the weather's been great here, and, you know, you're just watching God in creation, and you're just watching how God has blessed us with just so much, and, and just enjoying this communion with each other and with God, and, and I think sometimes in a Western culture, we just get busy with the buzz, and, um, and I want to encourage us this morning that let's take a moment to to stop, to rest, to enjoy, um, and find ourselves in the big story of who God is. So let's take, a, take a, let's take a moment and pray and just come before the Lord. So Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to thank you so much that you are such a good God. You're such a good God who, who gives us an identity that we don't have to work for it, but that it's given to us and that ultimately out of our relationship with you, we do want to enjoy the words that you've given us. We do want to enjoy communion and prayer, and we do want to enjoy fellowship as a body. But may those things never become the focal point, but that they would be a means to an end, and our ends ultimately is in you. Our identity comes from you. And Father, as we, we go into our lives, may we find these spiritual experiences and encounters, but would we ultimately be fixated of of you, the God, in these encounters, that we would enjoy these encounters, not for themselves alone, but that we would enjoy these spiritual moments and encounters with you and that they would be just so life-giving and empowering and encouraging. And Father, I just pray for each one of us now as well that we will be people who are not burdened by the work that you've set before us, but that we would ultimately and firstly rest in you and in the promises that you've given us and in the relationship that you've given us that we would would live and grow and transform as a believer as a family as your children through this fellowship with you and not out of this relationship just with you know trying harder and and working more so we thank you jesus for all that you're doing and i pray for this incredible family here at, at one hope that there would be a real love for you, a passion for you that would lead them to do crazy things in the future out of a place of rest and not out of a place of striving. In Jesus' name, amen.